So this week, I happened to do some reading into the Greek myth of Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus was a titan who, in ancient, who in in the legends, he stole fire from the gods to give it to humanity to help them advance. And I don't know about you, gentlemen, but personally, I I draw a lot of parallels between Prometheus and Ja Rule. So, if you're familiar with Ja Rule and his business ventures, Ja Rule, he stole fire festival to the gods and he gave it to us. <laughs> And like Prometheus, he was punished for his sins. Prometheus having to carry the world on his back, Ja Rule having to face a $100 million class action lawsuit. And if you wonder, dear listener, why we were talking about Prometheus and Ja Rule, that's because this week we're talking about the movie I'm in love with the church girl, uh, which is not a statement, that's the title of the movie. It came out in 2013. And welcome to the God's Not Watching podcast, where we review Christian movies so bad that even God himself would not be caught watching them. So last episode, we reviewed Noah and examined its merits, we examined the art, the imagery behind it, but this time, we're reviewing a a movie of similar artistic quality, featuring Prometheus himself, the closest we can get to a Greek tragic, uh, a legend in fact. But I'm your host, Jeremy, but with me are my lovely co-hosts, Lachlan, aka The Professor. Hey guys, this is Professor Lachlan. Number one Newsboys fan, Jay. Hey man, I'm the biggest Newsboys fan. <laughs> and we have a resident. We have Tony Hawk. I AKA broke my Tr- leg. Ah, ah. Uh, Tristan did. I did in fact break his leg. Yeah, and he's putting on a brave face. It's, it's Tristan. I'm. I'm trying to hold in the pain. Um, for once in my life, the pain is no longer internal. Now it's external. I just oh. I miss her so much, bros. <laughs> yeah, what up, it's Tristan. I'm sure the Vicodin helps with both the internal and external pain. So much. Tristan uh, broke his left ankle and dislocated his left ankle and sprained his right ankle in a professional skating accident. Yeah, so, just so I was... Just for the listeners yeah, who yeah, have yeah. no idea. Sorry, yeah, yeah, we should about. clarify. Um, so for those who don't know <laughs> me in real life, basically, uh, one of my main careers is that I'm a professional skateboarder. And... Uh, <laughs> One of my careers, I also snowboard and uh, skydive and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So, yeah, I was trying to clear um, this about 16 school buses and uh, I came off really badly. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it just wasn't a good time. I landed on my ankle. Uh, It was at a charity event for uh, Africa. And <laughs> the nation, the nation of Africa, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was trying to clear sixteen school buses on a skateboard, and uh, yeah, just uh, it didn't work. I got to school bus number fourteen, and I just fell off, and uh, yeah, fell on my ankle, on my on my weight. So I've been in hospital for the last few days. Um, yeah, so that's that's the real story. That's what really happened. Um, for those who don't know me in real life, um, real hero. Um, Thank you. Really We're saluting right. you right Still now. Still managed to raise uh, $20 billion for Africa, so that's good. Uh-huh. Uh, we all know Africa needs it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into this movie, hey? Yes. Uh, Tristan, would you like to give us a synopsis of I'm in love with the church girl? Oh, boy, would I. I, um, please. <clears throat> Miles Montego has it all. 
cars, boats, good looks, mansion, money, women, but more importantly, he has a past. Malice is a retired high-level drug trafficker who is now completely legitimate. Even though Miles has turned over a new leaf, the DEA can't seem to let him out of their sights. Miles' only downfall is that he is extremely loyal to his circle of friends and former colleagues who are not retired from the lucrative business. Struggling to keep on the right side of the law, Miles meets the one girl of his dreams, but she's not the usual type of girl that he's used to dating. Vanessa is a church girl in every sense of the word, except for the parts about being equally yoked and not dating non-Christians. They're tested to the last <laughs> ounce of faith and strengthen God and each other. Brilliant. Thank you, Justin. So, uh, this movie uh, was directed by Steve Race and produced by Reverence Gospel Media. So, when, it, when, I, when I was starting to watch this movie, I wasn't actually sure if this was like a a faith-based movie or whatever the term is for this type of cinema. Mm. I thought it might have just been a Hollywood cheap just grab, <laughs> money grab. And then I saw the beautiful logo of Reverence Gospel Media, just a rock on the ocean, <laughs> RGM, and just my faith was, was restored. I was just mm. like, I was like, I'm mm. ready for this movie and mm. everything it has. <laughs> so this movie was made on a budget of $3 million and its box office was $2.5 million. Oof. Quite unfortunate. Just uh, just didn't make it. Mm. Just a half million hey, uh, dollars. But uh, I don't know if uh, we've... Uh, you didn't mention who the real producer of this movie was, though, Jeremy. Mm. The real executive producer. Oh, yeah. This is the doing? first executorial uh, production from this, this very generous philanthropist and Hollywood big shot. If anyone wonders what we're talking about. So in the opening credits of this movie... Uh, you you got the reverence gospel media. You got a bunch of actors, and then it says executive producer God. I'm not lying, not joking. It says that. <laughs> just uh, just so you know, it's just important to know that. Uh, it's pretty uh, impressive. I uh, missed that somehow. I think I was just <laughs> you missed that. Oh, man. <laughs> I was just doing a praise dance when I saw reverence gospel media. My, oh man! Well, in my elation, I mean, your tambourine to notice. I mean, it's a shame that God didn't have enough left, uh, enough money left over from giving all his money to all those pastors to uh, to fund <clears throat> more than three million dollars into this movie. Um, I thought he had uh, more money than that, but well, he spent yeah. it all trying to resurrect a Thorn Wells career. So, there you go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait, did you hear about Thorn Wells before? before Anyway, critical score for this movie. Critical this movie score. was very surprisingly not received well critically on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 6% from critics, a certified Oof. rotten to the core, a 63% from audiences, and a personal favorite uh, critic review is to call the acting amateurish does a disservice to hardworking amateurs everywhere. <laughs> rotten. So, uh, Lachlan, as in wow. IMDb man. Mm. Uh, this movie has a 4.4 out of a possible 10 on IMDb. Uh, Tristan, as a man of the cloth, also a skateboarder, but also a man mm -hmm. of the cloth. Yes. Cloth skateboarder. Uh, yes. Well, I speak for the people. I speak for the fine folks uh, who receive all of their Christian media from the North Ride uh, Christian outlet uh, Kurong. 
And as such, I would like to give you the Kurong score, uh, which is a good indicator of how Christians generally responded to this movie within Australia. Uh, so let's have it. Uh, I'm in love with the church girl as a total of four reviews. And this is, I think, maybe the first movie that didn't get five stars on Kurong. This movie actually only has four mm. stars average. Uh, only four stars. Only four stars. <laughs> this is out of five, right? Out of five, out of a possible five, yeah. yeah. Well, Generally, go, at this point in the podcast, we go into movie trivia. But this mm. movie was a bit sparse on trivia. But in the <laughs> absence of that, uh, Tristan decided to compile some Jar Rule trivia. Would you, would you just bless us with this? Okay, so, yeah, look, guys. So, for those of you who haven't watched this movie at home, uh, pretty much... The best way that you're going to appreciate this film is by becoming intimately aware with the man, the myth, the Promethean legend that is Ja Rule and all of his ups and downs. So for those of you who are not familiar, Ja Rule uh, was probably among one of the most... I don't know if the word influential is correct but probably one of the more successful hip-hop and R&B artists of the 90s and early 2000s. Oh, yeah. He had he such... He was all the rage when I was in uh, early high school, late late primary school. Yeah, he, he was... Massive. Yeah, and he was all the rage uh, when I was in diapers. So, uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> Let's show the age difference here. Uh, no, like, Ja Rule, but, you know, you still will hear some of his songs being played in a KFC in the suburbs somewhere. And I think that that yeah. says a lot. Uh, some of his more famous songs, Mesmerized, uh, where it's like, Your lips, your eyes, look, look at me, baby. Um, so, um, as you can tell, along with I think being a professional lot of his skateboarder is my professional singer. Sorry, continue, Lachlan. I think a lot of his success came from the fact that he was teamed up with Ashanti and a lot of guys just wanted to watch music videos that had Ashanti. Ashanti is gorgeous. Them. Okay, so let me tell mm. you about Ja Rule. So Ja Rule grew up in Queens in the 80s. He was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Oh. That was the faith of his grandparents and his mother up until the age of uh, 12. Um, when he was 12, his mother left the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, and then shortly after, he started selling drugs in his neighborhood of Hollis, uh, which is in Queens, New York. He had a prominent rap career that spanned the 90s and early 2000s with multiple, uh, I think there was one quadruple platinum selling record, and he had four Grammy nominations. Uh, however, Ja Rule's career was fraught with problems and feuds. Uh, feuds with other rappers, problems with the law, with the uh, DEA, various different institutions, which will become relevant as we discuss the plot of the movie today. Um, as for his Christianity, uh, according to Ja Rule's Wikipedia page, Ja Rule became a Christian in 2013 while promoting this movie. Uh, he, yeah, I read that. I read that. While promoting the movie, Incredible. I'm in love with a church girl being baptized along with his wife the same year the film released. As uh, Jeremy has already touched on his most recent wave of publicity, arise from the recent disaster and class action lawsuit, uh, Fire Festival. The basically it was this luxury festival. For those who missed this, for those who weren't around in I think 2017. Um, those who just slept through 2017, Fire Festival was this luxury festival 
that Ja Rule had planned and had gotten promoted as being a luxury experience with gourmet meals and five-star accommodation uh, and ended up scamming all of these rich kids into prepackaged sandwiches and sleeping in tents, and which is pretty much every other festival, um, except every other festival oh, doesn't cost the thousands of dollars. Um, is that the one they made that 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 uh, Netflix documentary about? It absolutely mm-hmm. is. Fire Festival oh, was so controversial ja was... that yes, Fire Festival was so controversial that this has wow. been the subject of multiple documentaries about it, uh, including one Netflix of which documentary. I've seen the trailer for one and uh, and and many memes at the time. There were Twitter was lighting up Ja Rule about this. Yeah, so, and, yeah, one of his, his co, uh, co-founders for that festival pleaded guilty to fraud and uh, wire fraud and defrauding a ticket vendor. Um, ha- however, Fire Festival aside, Ja Rule is no stranger to the screen. His Wikipedia page boasts that he has starred in over 35 different roles in film and television. Most of which he plays himself, but there are some inclusions. Uh, he had a role in The Fast and the Furious, Scary Movie 3, uh, multiple roles on Mad TV. And uh, yeah, it was just all in all quite a... He's no stranger to the screen, and that comes through in his uh, performance. A little bit of trivia about I'm in love with the church girl before we move on to our next section. Uh, this is a film directed by Steve Race. And from what I can see, this is actually the first film Steve Race directed. So it's his directorial debut. Seems that way. The only other film that I could find on the IMDb was a twenty third no sorry a two thousand three comedy titled Princess, uh, which through my thorough research of about four Google searches, uh, came up with just the same IMDb page that has no plot. No photos, no information, <laughs> except for a cast list in which about 90% of the cast has no photos attached to their profiles. Um, so I don't know what Princess is. I am in God, God must not have produced God, that. Yeah, that this is before uh, he got that, that God money. Steve Race, this is this is <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that got executive produced by Beelzebul and was just not as successful, <laughs> sadly. Um, so yeah, so that is that is our Ja Rule trivia. Hopefully, being familiar mm-hmm. with Ja Rule, who is the lead star in this film, will make you more appreciative. I got a couple of bits of couple of bits of trivia Please. that. Um, mm-hmm. A trivial. Uh, one. Well, one is that uh, this is this is inspired by a true story, which I was not prepared for. Um, but uh, just emotionally not prepared for. It's, it's it says <laughs> yeah. It says it's inspired by a true story. And uh, the thing is, it the screenplay was actually written by the uh, the 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 real the life person on which Ja Rule's character was based. So it's sort of an autobiographical screenplay written by this guy, Gally Molina, um, who, uh, to, to at least some degree, this movie is based on his own life. Um, and uh, Gally Molina, the, the, the writer and the real-life person on which the movie is based, has a cameo in the movie um, where he plays the worship pastor of the church that the church girl goes to. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that cameo in a bit, but so the uh, this writer um, 
And yeah, the guy on which the movie is based has his own cameo in the movie playing a pastor, which is <laughs> was pretty interesting. Uh, one other bit of trivia, uh, the, the lead actress, uh, Adrian Bellini or something, um, she is in the movie. And then uh, <laughs> the movie also features... Oh, Adrian Balin, sorry. Um, the movie also features music, I believe, four original songs by... Uh, Christian singer-songwriter and uh, worship leader Israel Houghton. Um, And so Adrian's in the movie. Israel Houghton's music is in the movie. The movie was made in 2013. And then in 2016, Israel and Adrian got married. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Little love story that came out of the movie. Oh, God's not dead. Really alive. Living on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) We're like a cult now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, dear listeners of this podcast, uh, I've been trying to pitch this for a while, and this is the first time I'm going to talk to everyone on this podcast about it, but I think we should have a reoccurring Ja Rule trivia segment for every, <laughs> every podcast we do from now on. Uh, guys, yeah. today you it's need never to understand, seemed more relevant than now. I, I went on such a deep dive today looking into this. I was listening to Ja Rule songs, like, the entire time that I was doing the research, I went through, like, just because I did all the research on, um, like, the diss tracks and the feud. So, we had feuds with, like, 50 Cent. I think that was something that I completely skipped over in my in my thing here. Anyway, uh, yeah, he, he was... Basically, he was feuding with 50 Cent. He was feuding with uh, Eminem. He was feuding with DMX. Oh, not Eminem. He was feuding with all of these people. So, I just went on this massive, like, rabbit hole into 2000s rap. There is still so much love in the YouTube comments for Ja Rule. You guys need to understand, <laughs> people in YouTube comments love Ja Rule, and they truly believe that if it was not for his various legal troubles with... Uh, so basically, uh, his music label uh, got... as just one final piece of trivia. Uh, basically got held up and effectively went defunct because one of the main people on the board of directors on the music label... Uh, was under federal investigation for dr- for selling drugs, and so as a result, all of their business processes were basically grinded to a halt, and meant that Jaru was not really able to make any new music. And so there are plenty of consensus among the YouTube comments that uh, Jaru would still be running wow. the game today mm. <laughs> if it were not for the Federal Investigations Bureau and Drug Enforcement Agency. Uh, Defund the police. Taking down Ja Rule. So that's why this movie is the first thing I've heard of him since like 2003. Exactly. Yes. There you go. He's there got you all go. this talent just bottled up in him. What a so, man. So, we should, so maybe we should change our Would God Watch It rating segment to uh, Would Ja Rule Watch It at the end of all of our podcasts. <laughs> would God executive produce this movie? <laughs> <laughs> would God fund it? Oh. <laughs> all right uh let's let's get into some thoughts around this movie so uh spoiler free we're gonna just talk about our impressions and just summarize how we felt about this movie lachlan how did you feel about i'm in love with the church uh, uh you picked me first yeah um uh geez um i've been on such a journey like such a journey this whole <laughs> week with this movie like <laughs> I watched it. I watched it last night um, with my mum. Just as a side note, oh, um, fun for the whole family. And uh, yeah, um, and this whole week, 
I was just really not looking forward to watching really any Christian movie, let alone this Christian movie. I, <clears throat> I just, I was just thinking this is just going to be so exasperating, so just difficult to watch. And um, yeah, and so the, and then I watched it, and ever since watching it, I've just been on kind of like a bit of a journey thinking about what do I think about this movie, and um, I think I've I think I've sort of found my conclusion, which is that <clears throat> it's a it's a terrible, terrible movie. It's really bad. <laughs> it's not. It's not good at all. Um, it's it's man. The editing is bad. The cinematography is terrible. A lot of it looks like it was shot on a 2013 iPhone. Um, a lot of it. It's like I don't know if you guys felt there's there were just like bits where it seemed like that the um the the uh what do you call it the perspective was skewed or something mm-hmm. so that like one half of the image looked looked shrunk and the other half looked stretched and i don't know um but anyway the uh, the uh <laughs> the music editing was shocking um it's yeah it was the story it was way too long it was 2 hours long there were so many points where i was like whoa i'm not even halfway through this yet um and uh yeah it's um it's just not a competently made movie. Um, but at the same time, oh. I actually think that um, I think I liked this movie more than I've liked any of the Christian movies that we've watched so far for this podcast. So that excludes Noah, which is not a, not a Christian movie in the same sense. Um, and so, so out of, what is it? God's Not Dead, Fireproof... Christian Mingle, um, War, Room. War Room, and now I'm in Love with the Church Girl. I think I liked this movie the most. Um, not so much because it had the best uh, sort of production value and, and, and competence, um, but because it was the least frustrating and annoying from a Christian sense, in a Christian sense, in that it, um, it just wasn't playing the games that those other movies were playing like it so it, it really wasn't um actually it's funny if you if you go onto the the imdb uh page for this and you look at plot keywords <laughs> uh number one is christian propaganda number two is church <laughs> number three is money number oh, four wow. is faith number five is dea um <laughs> but so number one is christian propaganda and like so you know when i'm like a big this podcast is largely for me a big crusade against movies, against Christian movies being Christian propaganda um, and just being sort of sermons in film form and just being preachy and stuff. But I actually didn't feel like this movie was really doing that. It wasn't really playing that game. It didn't commit a lot of those, um, those sort of cinematic crimes that I think a lot of movies, a lot of Christian movies create of like simplifying characters, simplifying um sort of uh answers to theological questions and sort of um just and and making christians look awesome and making non-christians look terrible which almost every every other christian movie we watch does that this movie doesn't actually do that i don't think it there are christian characters who go on a journey and who sort of suck at the beginning and sort of have an arc and that and like there are non-Christian characters with real redeeming qualities and there are um, complex, like there are characters who go through, particularly the main character, who goes through difficult 
things and says that they're difficult and they're not and he doesn't really accept simple answers and uh that was just the one thing that i did appreciate while watching this movie was that yeah there were there were actually and from a like just a cinematic perspective there were times where i really felt for the main character i was like you know what like this is kind of a compelling scene there were some compelling scenes in there um which uh made me feel for the main character um and at no point did I sort of think, oh, Christians and like, oh, Christian movies. But yeah, uh, so all of that and the acting was not the worst. I think, yep. uh, yeah, that's my review for now. Jay, what did you think of this movie? Yeah, so, um, man, it's... I always look forward to what Locke interested to say, so it's good to go second for once. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm going to say that um, this movie pretty much is the epitome of basically starting, starting plot points and just not finishing it in a satisfying, satisfying way. Mm. So there were so many moments in the movie where basically they, they kind of started an idea. So like, you know, those mini stories like, okay, here's a, here's a moment, right? We're going to draw you in this moment. And then without giving it, I can't say much because I don't want to give anything away in this part, but it just doesn't make, like the endings of each scene doesn't make any sense. You're like, you're, you're just, you're, every scene you're kind of left with, huh? Wait, wait, what? Mm. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, I guess. And that was pretty That's much true. my impression of the whole movie. So, and uh, I, though I'm going to say like, I quite like the movie um, in a sense that, well, if you're going to compare it once again, like I said, to what we've been watching last few weeks. I'm going to say that it's probably one of the better ones. Um, only because, like, well, like what, what Lachlan was saying, um, they kind of, it's it's a bit more realistic in terms of how he struggles with the faith because mm-hmm. it's kind of the questions I've been asking too. So it's not straightforward, like, okay, because I said this, this is going to happen. They spoke about prayer um, and it, it didn't do, like, you know, like a magic prayer thing where, oh, yeah, it's going to come to mm-hmm. pass. In fact, they showed how yeah. uh, someone, you know, would struggle true like, prayer like it doesn't mean that miracles is always going to happen so um yeah. yeah so i just think like yeah they had all the cliches they had a karen in the movie they had a cranky <laughs> yep. teenager they had a nerdy teenager anyway not don't want to give too much away but yeah it's just a lot of men um not satisfying moments that leave you hanging but obviously it's enough for you to it's just enough for you to be like okay that happened cool on the next plot point but um at the same time yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. I found it a bit hilarious at times. But yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I think about the movie. Nice. Tony Hawk, what did you think of the movie? I thought it was pretty radical. Uh, gnarly, my dude. Uh, look, I thought that this movie was one of, I have to agree with Lachlan, probably. Well, I don't know. I think that Lachlan enjoyed it from like a philosophical like, in terms of it's the least propaganda out of all of the propaganda we've seen so far, um, I enjoyed it because I thought that it was the most unintentionally hilarious movie we've seen so far. <laughs> okay. I think that almost half, a third to half of the skits, sorry, a third to half of the scenes skits. <laughs> felt like setups to a sketch from a Dave Chappelle show. <laughs> like, so many of them. You guys, you, 
I was like in awe. They are just so cliche. They are so poorly written. They are so over the top and dependent on stereotypes, cliches, uh, tropes, just things that are so overdone and that no competent filmmaker would ever do because they are just the absolute done to death things to do in a scene that they're exactly what someone who's doing a sketch comedy, taking the Mickey out of something out of a particular concept or scene or trope would do like everything about it from the font to the music, to the way that the shots are set up. It just (laughs) felt like it was directed by Dave Chappelle. Like I can't, stress this enough i was just waiting for like like a dave Chappelle character to just jump out of the scene and be the punchline i was waiting for his crackhead character to just show up at some point <laughs> like it would have you can take so many of the scenes in this movie and adapt them into like a key and peel or a Chappelle show skit and you don't have to change much at all you just need to add like a small thing at the end and it just works it's comedy gold so many of these things are so over the top um yeah this movie is an absolute train wreck of self-awareness it has none (laughs) it is self-aware bankruptcy in a film i absolutely laughed (laughs) my ass off throughout the entire thing This movie has characters whose motivations make no sense, whose uh, personal values and ideals are incoherent and inconsistent. Uh, Its entire message, it's, it's, here's the thing, here's what makes it so funny. Because I think I kind of, I agree and I disagree with Lachlan's point about it being the least propaganda. Because here's the thing. It is the least propagandic film, but not for lack of trying. It just fails <laughs> at being propaganda. That's how incompetent it is. It's not that it's not trying to be propaganda. It's that it's trying to be propaganda and can't even get that right because it's so <laughs> poorly made because it just contradicts itself and it's not doing it out of some grand narrative design. It's doing it because the people who made this movie have the IQ of the room temperature that they were in. Like it's actually Wait, Fahrenheit or unbelievable. Celsius? Celsius. It is oh, unbelievable. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, burn. Now that I've clarified the, the unit, boom. Um, yeah, look, I would be surprised if anyone who works on this movie's IQ was higher than their age. And uh, quite frankly, it made for an incredible cinematic experience. I would recommend this film to anyone who loves bad movies. This is a movie that is so bad it's good. It has some of the funniest bad scenes I've ever seen. Some of the funniest line delivery in any film. And if this was a self-aware piece of comedy or satire, I would I would give it a I'd give it an Oscar at every any year. It was so, so terrible and so, so hilarious. There were definitely a bunch of times where I laughed out loud uh, at moments when I was not supposed to laugh out loud. Absolutely. And I'll just say, I, I, I agree with you, Tristan, to an extent in that um, I think the, the messaging in this movie was so unclear at a lot of points that mm. where I was like, what is this trying to say? And so there, there may have been points where it was trying to get like a message, mm. a propagandic kind of message to me and it, and it just failed. Um, mm. 
Or, but I think okay. Uh, I, if it has propaganda, I think that's probably more to do with uh, it's going to be about money. This movie has a very interesting relationship with money. Very uh, interesting. This movie's theology I, I, is absolutely bonkers. Very. It it's is confusing. So confusing. It's, it is so different to the um, theology of all the other movies that we've been looking at so far. Yeah. Uh, this is by far the most like. If you're going to set a church in L.A. and not in the, the great Midwest, uh, then I guess that's the sort of theology you're going to come across. Because, <laughs> oh, wow, this is yeah. this is about a movie with celebrity Christians who are actually like real world celebrities who happen to be Christians. I'm not saying anything about the, the sort of theology that uh, celebrities who are also Christians keep, but... Uh, uh, what I'm saying is they usually have bad prosperity gospel theology, and this movie has terrible prosperity gospel theology, uh, is exactly yeah. what I would say. Well, it might, and it's hard to... I found it hard to interpret, but mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into it. Mm. But I think... But I will say, I will say that when it comes to things like, you know, um, will, p- prayer being answered and like, is it... Um, I don't know... It, when someone's going through this, through a bad season, like, um, what's the answer to mm. their, what's the answer to their hardship? And it kind of doesn't, it, it withholds simple answers at, at multiple points where I, mm. I think your fireproofs and your God's Not Deads would just give it, would just put a pastor in that scene who would give a cliched Christian answer. And this movie doesn't do that. Uh, anyway, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. It definitely does do that to its credit. Um, I would retort with the fact that the reason they don't do that is because they don't know how to answer they these don't questions. Know the <laughs> that stupid. I legitimately do not think anyone who worked on the script of this movie has ever actually like been to any form of Bible college has ever like actually studied apologetics. I don't think, or actually studied the the role of no one's read the meaning of marriage who worked on this book <laughs> in other words um i haven't either but i mean i'm not making movies about <laughs> christians in relationships i've started though. it about 3 times you recommended it yeah, i've recommended it to everyone um, more times than you've started it more times than i've started <laughs> it but i'm not out here making christian movies about relationships uh and these people are and these people have no idea what the hell they're doing. And it's not because they're trying to be all ambiguous and tell a good story. I think it's just because they don't know the answers to the questions that they're raising. That's my <laughs> least charitable, but probably most funny interpretation of <laughs> how this movie was made. Uh, I will I'll leave it to Jeremy to give his thoughts. Uh, yeah, uh, this movie is hot trash. It's completely, it's really hard to follow what's going on with any of the side plots. There's some side plots around, I, uh, Jarl's character has a job as a promoter, and there's a weird montage that did not make sense to me at all about what's going on in that scene, and this movie is full of junk like that. Outside of the main two characters of Jarl and Vanessa, his love interest, every other character in this movie seems to be like a caricature written by... Someone who didn't particularly care for to actually try to make it make well-rounded characters. All the dialogue is awful. But in saying that, I actually really enjoyed watching this movie, just because in their own strange way, Jarul and 
uh, Adrienne, who plays Vanessa, had this weird chemistry that was really enjoyable to watch. Mm. Ja Rule just they being like a really some chill good, dude. There was great some, on-screen yeah. chemistry. There was some it good just looked like they were there. having fun. Some very yeah. good banter. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I had fun with them. Um... Just any time they were on screen, his, Vanessa was Vanessa's like a really peppy character. Gerald's like a really laid back dude, and their intermingle towards each other was like that really watchable. It, the rest of the movie is just mm. hot trash. Uh, for some reason, Jerry Rice has a big cameo in it, uh, and he's he's higher build than a lot of the other side characters in the movie. Who's who's Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice is an American football player. Um, oh right, that guy. He was the guy who was yeah. In he the had club. a cameo appearance in one of the nightclubs in the film. Just quickly yeah. on the on-screen chemistry, what, if that movie for yeah, all its trash, it did have one of the best interactions uh, and exchanges that I've ever seen uh, in cinema. Which, I mean, look, this isn't the first movie to do it, but just seeing it just cracked me up. Uh, Basically, there's a scene in the film, it's a totally non-consequential scene, where uh, Ja Rule and Vanessa are going shopping, and a former girlfriend of Ja Rule comes up to them, <laughs> yep. and, uh, you know, gives them a little kiss on the cheek and says, hi, how are you, you know, so good to see you, blah, 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 and then, you know, Vanessa causes a big fuss and, like, shuffles them along, and then when they're getting in the car, <laughs> she's like, did you sleep with her? And Ja Rule's like, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, hmm, I don't even know why I asked. And then Ja Rule's like, yeah, why did you? <laughs> women. <laughs> he just gets yeah, he in got, the car. He just says to himself, women. Women. <laughs> and the scene just ends. And I laughed so hard. The, the delivery in that, having been in an interaction exactly like that, Ja, I feel your pain. I feel like that is definitely based <laughs> off an actual interaction Ja Rule has had and an actual argument he had with his girlfriend or wife. There's no <laughs> the, way that that or it hasn't been actually the happened. It could have been real life. Yeah, I don't life. think any By of the, the way, writers... I, Actually, no, yeah, I think the, the real Miles Montago, whatever it is, probably did have an interest. His name like isn't that. even Miles. For some <sighs> reason, they gave They the, gave him a Latino name, the, um, and then they cast him as an African-American. That makes no sense to me. The real guy's Gally Molina. Yeah. What's uh, Jarrell's character's last name? Miles Montego. Montego, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, because, so, I mean, I think the real guy is uh, Latino. So, uh, with that, I declare we are in the spoiler zone. We're just going to talk about things that we want to talk about. And boy, are there some, th some things I want to talk about. <laughs> Before, just, just one, it's a non-spoiler thing. Um, I just feel like it needs to be pointed out that the, 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 the my, Gally Molina, who wrote it, he wrote it while he was in prison. I don't think that got mentioned. No. Um, so, he, he wrote the screenplay while he was in prison for his, his crimes. Mm. Um, his crimes. So just just real quick, there's a there's a side plot in the movie. Well, kind of the core driving plot at the back of it is that there's a police investigation by the DEA where they're trying to capture, yes. they're trying to implicate Ja Rule in his past crimes and put him away. So that has led to, that investigation is led by Stephen Baldwin. But I want to bring yes. up Stephen Budget Baldwin's Baldwin. Budget Baldwin. I want to <laughs> bring up Baldwin. his uh, police captain, who every time. Oh. The police captain is the most peculiar looking man I've ever seen on cinema. I know. Every time I looked at him, 
every time he was on his face. So, all I could see was a budget Will Ferrell trying to dress up as a lion, <laughs> lion in a children's body. His hair is horribly dried yellow, and his eyes are just strange and cat-like. Oh. It was so distracting every time he was on okay. He's such an ugly, ugly man. Okay, okay. <laughs> I have, I have several things. I have several things to say about this. First of all, that actor is known for the Karate Kid. I think oh. he's the main, the main antagonist in the Karate Kid. The like 1984 Karate Kid. He's, he's also the, known the, for being you know, the, the brother of Alec Baldwin. Oh, no, no, that's... <laughs> no, 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 we're talking about the captain, that's, Steven, that's Steven oh, the captain. Baldwin. Sorry, um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the captain. Oh, but speaking <laughs> of Steven Man. Baldwin, I was just like... The, so that scene where they, where they, where just suddenly Steven Baldwin rocks... I was not prepared that we got a Baldwin in this movie. I didn't no. know that that was going to happen. And then he rocks up, he shows up in the, in the, you know, DEA office. And I was like, whoa, we get a Baldwin. That's like, you know, the budget just went up for this. My interest just... <laughs> To start, yeah, just so it popped but, um, it up but, from like two and a half million to three million. That's what yeah. literally made it lose five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> is by getting. But Stephen it's also. Baldwin. I mean, I haven't even started the things I'm saying, but 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 it's also his his partner is the better known actor Michael Madsen. Uh, Madsen, who's he's like in he's in Kill Bill and everything. He's like he's awesome. Um, but he's in the Hateful Eight, Reservoir Dogs. He's in Species, nineteen ninety-five, um, and he's got such a tiny role in this. But so, okay, so the first scene where, um, like, Ja Rule's talking to his 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 thug friends, I wrote, um, "These thugs look like undercover cops." Um, They're the worst. Because basically, They're so bad. they just don't. Look, they they're clearly a bunch of Christians who don't know how who who. Never, who never swear and like oh don't know how to act like thugs. And then it's almost like the next scene um, where um, we see the, I thought it was the FBI, so I wrote FBI, but it's the DA. But, um, you know, we see the uh, Stephen Baldwin and Michael Madsen uh, talking to the, the police, uh, the DEA chief, and I just wrote, this FBI chief looks like an undercover gangster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he just looks this like is the worst The Departed adaptation in the world <laughs> Yeah It looks he like a rejected like cat character to, He does not look like he belongs In the DEA um, Or a porn star He also That's the other oh, yeah. He looks either like a, uh, Pretty a yeah. An undercover gangster Or he's a porn star An undercover A porn star oh. uh, Undercover as a DEA chief. Yeah. Can we appreciate as well in this scene that basically, okay, so one of the first scenes of this film is there's these two DEA agents, Stephen Baldwin and uh, Michael Madsen, and they're being chewed out by this weird cat-eyed police chief for doing (laughs) their job. Like, literally, he calls them in. It's not even that they're doing their job recklessly. It's not that they're mavericks who need to rein it in and they're going to have the district attorney on their ass. It's that they are just, they're working overtime. They are putting, they're putting all of their efforts and resources into, according to them, the biggest drug trafficker in Northern California. It's like... Hey, if you're working overtime, that costs this department money. We can't afford to have you working overtime. And it's like, and the guy's like, chief, you can't put a price on justice. What was super weird about that scene was just like they, 
they're just talking about how rich Charles' character is yes. for so long. They're just like, uh, you know, he's got a he's got a house that's more expensive than all of our houses combined. One he of wears, his twelve cars wears, is more expensive than all of our cars combined. Yeah, and he and something about like he wears something he like he's got more than our income on our on his wrist and stuff. And I'm like, what? these these DEA guys oh. are just jealous of this guy. They just want to, they want to be him. All the comparison things they were doing were his thing, his ex combined is, uh, all our things combined is, is worth less than his one thing. It's like, I would have loved if they kept going yeah. through his every item of clothing. All our shoes combined are not as worth as much as his shoes. All our socks combined. They just go back. <laughs> All our powers combined and not even make up his powers. That's what I'm saying about every scene of this film feels like the setup to a Chappelle show sketch. Yeah. It's just everything about this. It's so ridiculous. Oh, okay. Like, uh, yeah, I, I want to talk about how bad the DEA just was portrayed in this entire film. Because let me start off by saying this. The entire DEA subplot in this film gave absolutely nothing. It literally went nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it ultimately it contributed anywhere. zero to the rest of the plot. Am I glad yeah. that it was in the movie? Absolutely. It was hilarious. <laughs> but wow, it contributed nothing. It went nowhere. Okay, since we're in full spoilers now, what I was going to say before that I, that I held back from saying, it makes no... It shocks me that the real guy wrote his wrote this memoir autobiography in prison exactly. because the guy never exactly. goes to prison. What exactly. the heck? He gets off scot-free. He lives happily ever after. If you're going to make an autobiographical, if you're going to make a biopsy yeah. about yourself, don't forget the part where you actually go to prison, you maniac. Yeah. What is your... Oh. Okay, can Go. Can I like sort of give it, give it, because I've got just a comment on the arc of this, which uh, will sort of also kind of incidentally spell out the kind of general structure of the movie. Because basically, um, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you, so the first scene, okay, so <laughs> the opening scene is a monologue, a voiceover monologue from Ja Rule with footage of people in prison. There's a prison. You don't see any any like particular character or anything. You just see there's just some footage of some prison cells and stuff, and uh, it really sounds like Jarul's character is going to spend some time in prison mm. at some point in this movie, um, because it, the opening scene is in prison and it's got um, Jarul's character talking about all the hardships he had to go through. Um, then like. Then the next thing you see is Jarul in a dark room with a bunch of undercover cops posing as thugs. <laughs> Sorry, they're actually, they're supposed to be thugs, um, and they they're holding like just big wads of cash. They're just distributing it and stuff, and um, they're doing gangster stuff. And it looks stuff. like they they're doing gangster stuff. They're doing a drug deal or whatever, and um, and then you've got some DEA agents. Soon after that, talking about how he's the biggest drug dealer in the, in in Northern California, mm. um, which uh, conspicuously leaves out LA, the most populous city <laughs> in California. Yeah. But um, but um, but so it very much looks like he is a drug dealer. Mm. Um, and then, like early on in the movie, he meets Vanessa, and um, they start dating and everything. 
and she asks what he does, and he's very kind of um, not very forthcoming he's like, about oh, I do a what lot he of does. Things. He doesn't really. He's very vague. Mm. And so, and so the whole time you think, yeah, yeah, he's a drug dealer. Mm. Like that's this is the premise of this movie. He's a drug dealer. He's dating a church girl. Um, but then, like some way into maybe a third or or so into the movie, like he actually sort of after he after he takes uh, Vanessa to meet his friends and she, and they're all you know talking about his past and stuff and and um or what he's like and she's like what the heck was that you know who are you and then he kind of comes clean to her and he says i used to be a drug dealer and the, and my friends worked for me so and so and at this point in the movie i'm just like Wait. So is he telling the truth? Like, is he a drug because dealer? Because it doesn't. Yeah. Because it. Because it. Because up until this point, it's very much seemed like mm. he's a drug dealer, and so <clears throat> I was just waiting. Like, has he told her kind of like a half truth? Like, what's supposed to be like? And it just. I just think it was just. It was just poor storytelling. I have that a we theory. Just, it wasn't clear to us what, where he was up to in the story. Um, and like how redeemed he was or wasn't. Um, I have a theory very that the person who wrote the script or the screenplay or whatever you want to call it, uh, either is schizophrenic um, and just has no concept of time or continuity. or continuity or just it's literally they wrote one draft, never showed it to anyone for proofreading and just ran with it and just published it. And no one tried to adjust it at any point because the entire yeah. premise of him being or not being a drug dealer was such a point of frustration for me throughout this entire film because it is never properly clarified until about a third of the way through. And even then it's ambiguous. It's like it's trying to pull some crazy stuff. Like I'm trying to think of another it, movie the where only it's reason- like... The only reason you know, the only reason you come to realize that he was telling the truth to Vanessa was mm. because they never bring it up again and you just sort of, you just have to accept it. It's like, mm. oh, okay, I guess he was telling yeah. the truth because they haven't problematized this in any way. It hasn't become a thing of like, oh, he's told her most of the truth, but he's still keeping a bit of a secret from her. I thought, oh, this could be really interesting. Like, he's sort of interested in church now um, and he's sort of trying to sort of be redeemed or look redeemed, but he's actually really not, he's still right in the thick of all the stuff that he was doing. But, um, and that could have been like morally complex and interesting, but it just didn't really go there. It was just like, oh, he used to be a drug dealer. And the funny thing about that is like, <laughs> that's how you know it's like real life. It Like it's a true story because if this was like not a true story, mm. if this was fictional, they would have just made him a drug dealer. Who mm. gets sort of redeemed like throughout the course of the movie, rather than like the somewhat anticlimactic? Um, oh, he's already kind of been mostly redeemed from his former lifestyle before he even becomes a Christian, um, yeah. which is kind of less of an exciting testimony, you know? Okay, so here's the other thing, and that's this part of my whole problem with the, the characters in this movie making no sense. I hate Vanessa so much. She kisses oh, really? me off like okay look look like as a person fine she's got lovely like she's got the actress delivers her performance with incredible like charisma chemistry and it's fine 
but her whole theology is bunk, garbage, piss. I hate it I've just, so much. <laughs> like, I've just got a note here. Mm-hmm. I've just got a note here. I like Vanessa. Well, I hate <laughs> Vanessa. I no, look, I don't <laughs> hate <laughs> Vanessa, but I just, I hate Vanessa's whole wishy-washy thing where she's like, okay, and here's another thing that this ties into my overall point of hating how bad this movie even is at being propaganda because it almost feels as though this movie is is almost like it's like saying to christian women that you can flirt Mm. to convert that you can date a non-christian guy and just through sheer force of being a good example that you can make him a christian you can change him Uh, you can change him which doesn't happen uh Mm. look okay i'll clarify i do know one guy i met one guy who was uh who ended up getting married to the daughter of a pastor and his relationship with his girl led him to become a christian but this dude was already like studying to be a doctor or something like he this guy wasn't a drug former drug dealer this guy was Mm. like already a pretty great stand-up dude with like a lot of amazing qualities. Um, like for the most part, this stuff doesn't like, there's no, and there's not even like a thing of like, like I would have, of you know, this movie is forgivable in terms of its messaging. If it's like, and it would have obviously made it far more two dimensional and cliched. Um, but the thing is, I, don't, I still don't think this movie is intending to tell a good story. It's trying to tell a Christian message and failing. So that's why I'm pissed off at it, right? So it's trying to portray Vanessa as this good Christian girl who is doing all the right things, but she's just not. Like, it never calls her out on the fact that she... Well, except her mother, who's portrayed as a B, portrayed as a Karen. (laughs) Uh, You know what? She's portrayed (laughs) as a bitch. I'm not... not, Anyway, uh, you can bleep that out. Um... She's she's portrayed as a Karen. She does give off kind of racist vibes as well, a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That was another thing that I noticed. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're Miles with like this look of like, oh, you're black. <laughs> like that's kind of the vibe I got. I mean, um, that's one interpretation. She could have just been like, oh, he looks a bit, he looks a bit dodgy, doesn't he? He definitely. She definitely gave off racist vibes. Um, <laughs> But possible, possible. That's you know, that's just my woke. But like, but so that, but that's the interesting thing, right? Is that that? So she was one of the people where I was like, oh, this is interesting. She's a Christian, uh, Christian character who is coming across as judgmental and and sort of put, playing the role of an antagonist in the story. Mm. Um, and she actually needed to go on through a process where she uh, changes her mind about something. Yeah, except um, it's, here's it's, the thing: really she was right in the beginning. <laughs> she was yeah. right. She regressed. She got corrupted. <laughs> That's the problem with this film is that she started off being <laughs> in the right frame of reference where you're trying to protect your daughter from dating some yeah. wacky non-Christian guy who has ties to organized <laughs> yeah. crime, drugs, and illicit activity. <laughs> so she, any good mother doesn't want their daughter married to some guy who's yeah. probably going to end up in prison. She was in the right. She did nothing wrong. She did absolutely nothing. Wrong. 
I, I wrote it down t-shirt. somewhere how I just I just love how that her dad on the other hand is just completely on board so with him chill. from day one. Yeah, so I feel like he I feel like chill. he kind of he wants to be a cool dad because yep. <laughs> Ja Rule's character is like he's cool. I want to like I want his coolness to rub off on me. Exactly. But um, but I will say um, yeah, I thought <laughs> it was very. That yeah, everything you're saying, Tristan, just is into the whole. This movie is so confusing about its messaging and its theology. A lot of this is just very confusing because yes, it never really seems to admit a problem of mm. um of this Christian girl Vanessa dating this non-Christian guy. Mm. Um, it never sort of questions whether or not. It doesn't seem to really like yeah question whether or not she should be doing that, except through. The character of yeah. Vanessa's mum, who is very much portrayed as um, a judgmental figure. Because here's the but, thing. Um, here's the thing. She has these understandings. There's this one. So the one scene they have in the diner after uh, the friend's birthday, after to the footballer's birthday, they go and they have, and she has the conversation Hey, Ja Rule, do you know what equally is? I like how I keep. I love calling him Ja yep. Rule, even though his actual character's name is Miles. Say, hey, Ja Rule, do you know what equally yoked means? And ja I wish Rule, his character, since they didn't use the real name anyway, they might as well have just called him Ja, ja Rule. Rule. That would have been so much better. They're like, Ja Rule, do you understand what equally yoked means? In the Bible, equally yoked means that yeah. that's how we're meant to be with our partners and fellow people, meaning that we're meant to have spiritual, you know, uh, equality with yeah. people. But you know when she brings up that discussion after admitting to him that he that she loves him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. she's still portrayed as this like role mm. model for how mm. to convert a guy yeah. to Christianity. Absolutely no pastor yeah. worth their tithe salary is going to tell anyone to is going to tell any uh, p- p- woman in their congregation that they should tell a guy that they're in love with, that they love them, uh, before even yeah. figuring out if they are on the I same agree. page spiritually. I agree, but what I'm going to say is um, um, I thought this movie, um, the way it panned out was just was interesting in that later on in the movie um, when uh, Jarl's mom is dying, um, and she says to Vanessa, "God." She says, "What she says is, God knew that the only way to Jarul's heart was through a woman like you." Um, and uh, that was an interesting, yeah, it was a very interesting phrase because. Um, so, okay, I feel like a, a, an important factor in this story is that it's it's based on a true story, um, and so. I felt like my my kind of reading of it was Vanessa's character. Um, she wasn't. I didn't feel like she was portrayed as a necessarily an all-out hero all the time. I felt like she was mostly yeah, great. But like, I I there were bits where I just sort of interpreted that as like yeah, I can see a real person doing what she was doing and. The movie kind of just presents it, and actually, I, I kind of felt like, huh, this movie is probably one of the better apologetics that I've seen for flirting to convert, um, because I thought that line, "God knew that the only way to Gerald's heart was through a woman like you," yeah, it was interesting. 
Because, okay, if, if I don't want to like fully disclose my view on, on dating non-Christians, uh, welcome to the uh, To Flirt, To Convert or Not welcome To Flirt, To Convert podcast. Welcome to the God's Not Dating podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, is that uh, generally it's a, it's a terrible idea. Um, and what the Bible says is don't marry someone who isn't a Christian. And for that reason, there's very, very little reason to date someone who isn't Christian, because why are you dating them if you know that you're not going to marry them? Um, and why are you, you know, getting into a serious relationship when the, 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 one of the main things that should be a non-negotiable for you is your, it's a gamble. You don't know if they will become a Christian. Um, but so that's my general sort of view on it. But, um, I just have this sort of caveat Personally, where I just think you can't, sometimes God does things and you can't really argue with it, you know, um, and you can't always box him. And sometimes there, there are exceptions to these general principles um, where God is sort of bringing two people together and that's just what he's doing. And it's, and it winds up working. You can't make a rule out of it, but you, but it does seem like in this situation, it was, it was, it worked. And, um, but in this movie, it kind of because from early on in the movie, Jarl's character he's clearly seems open to the church thing, um, and he's showing that to Vanessa's character, and there's this sort of clear sense that he's kind of he's he's sort of on a path towards um, Jesus, and that she is part of that path, and it seems to just work. And so I'm kind of okay with it, but all of that said, I do agree that I don't know. There, there probably should have been more, just sort of acknowledgement that this, this is not what you generally should do <laughs> as a Christian. That this is uh, maybe a valid exception, but it is an exception to the rule. Um, mm. And the movie didn't really have that conversation. Um, or it didn't have it in it. I mean, because what's Vanessa's mum does? She comes around in what I thought was a really beautiful scene. Um, at after Gerald's mum's mum dies, and they're at the funeral, and um, Vanessa's mum comes and talks to him, and they have I thought a really compelling conversation. Um, yeah. So I was just gonna just make a statement, basically uh, like a serious statement, because. Um, the reason why, like, we've been going on about this flip the convert thing is just for me personally. Like, I've never like of all the girls I met in church growing up in youth, and every single one of them that dated someone uh, with the intention like that was not in church, pretty much ended up walking away from the faith simply mm. because the just because the nature of like, I say this carefully, but just the nature of a guy just being away out of the church and being very you know like because a man is you know. They always say, well, in the Bible anyway, it's like, it's the head and, and so like other family. And so the, it's just a natural thing for the guy to be like, look, this is how I want this relationship to be. This is one how I want this family to be done. And it's just, of course, like what Lachlan was saying earlier, you know, of course, if God's doing something, of course, he's going to do it. There's no set rule. But I think also why we're feeling it so strongly. I feel so strongly about it. It's also because, yeah, just because seeing so many of my friends, like walk away from faith from such a silly mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, not not silly choice, but I guess yeah, there's no other way to put it. But a conscious choice to be like, oh, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna risk it. I'm gonna live on the edge mm. and try and like you know save this guy. And then sure. two years down the road, being like, oh, what is going on? Ah, uh, I'm just away from the faith. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah, I guess yeah. that's what the I was saying. The statistics are not in your favour. Mm. Exactly. If you make that decision. Yeah. 
If you yeah. floated to convert, please email into the podcast. Let us know. <laughs> mm. Let us know your praise report of uh, yeah. of the drug dealers you've uh, converted. Yeah. yeah, can we talk about how, like, um, at the start of the cop stories, sort of the three agents, so mainly the mm. chief, the Steve Baldwin guy, and the Brian guy. So they kind of mm. start off the movie as like um, how uh, basically the Steve guy, Steve Baldwin guy, is the one that's like, oh, we gotta gotta bring justice. And then the police chief is yeah. like, why? Uh, just let him be. And then the Brian guy's like the mocking one. And then at the end of the film, it's almost like they did a rotation where Steve Baldwin guy yeah. is the one that's like, we should just let him go. I think he's all right. Yeah. And then the police chief is the one that's like, no, we're going to get him. We're going to get oh him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so the scene where they take him in to, like, interrogation questioning has got to be one of the most ridiculous scenes I have ever seen in my life where they try and bring him in on uh on charges of uh what's it called they try and bring him in on the irs like tax and all that sort of like financial loopholes they never they have guys who just the least intimidating accountants with guns accountants with guns they have accountants with guns interrogating this gangster and they literally they don't read him his miranda rights they don't have a warrant for his arrest they literally bring like an entire swat team to drag him away into this like he has absolutely there's no there's no Oh, this movie makes no sense. So, uh, my two notes on the police interrogation scene. Uh, So, the IRS has their criminal investigation division, and the two interrogators Mm. they have uh, are two very similar-looking guys with big glasses, like we said, accountants with guns. So, my note says, IRS CID guys look like dork brothers, and I want to see their spin-off show. And then shortly after, the police (laughs) chief is like, I've got to do this myself. And then I just wrote, Will Ferrell Lion Man interrogation. Okay, so Will Ferrell's Lion Man, that scene makes no sense, right? Okay, so, like, he goes in and he says, um, yes, he says, let's talk about sin. You know all about sin, don't you, Mr. Churchboy? What your Bible says about sin. sin You look as bad as sin. You know about sin. And, like, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, I'm going to leave, and in a few minutes I'll be back, and it's confession time. But there's literally, he's given him no reason to confess. He has no leverage. He has absolutely nothing nothing he's charged with. He's not been charged with anything. There's no new information. There's nothing that they're not saying, oh, yeah, you need to confess or else we're going to indict you or we're going to imprison you or we're going to take, we're going to seize your assets. We're going to lock up your friends for life, blah, blah, blah. He's not cutting him a deal. He's not doing anything thing that any competent federal uh detective or or, you know agent would do he's just spouting nonsense that makes no sense and the thing is like the only thing that well so the weird thing is that the basically the next thing uh the you know the will ferrell lion guy walks back in to to stephen baldwin and baldwin's just like let's just let him go and they just let him go and like it literally just led to nothing but the only so the only thing that may have been going on in that scene was that okay um the the DA chief brings up the sort of religious dimension of things and talked about sin and confession and maybe, and like Ja Rule does have this sort of like troubled look on his face as the chief leaves. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe he's been convinced that 
the things that he did, you know, making millions of dollars off the destruction of people's lives through drugs. Yeah. Or maybe that was really bad, and I need to confess that to the authorities and pay back my my uh, my debt to society and stuff. Right. Um, and that, you know, that could have made sense as an interrogation tactic mm. and also as a character arc thing. Right. But then, but then Gerald's character is just like. Yeah, so I didn't confess, and I lived happily ever after. <laughs> and it's like, wait, like, okay, it's so confusing on so many levels. Because first of all, um, the real character did go to prison. So, mm. like, why did they sort of write it so that he didn't go to prison? Is it sort of like this sort of, I don't know if anyone's seen Atonement, but if you've seen Atonement, then you understand the reference I'm saying, making of, like, writing your autobiography sort of better than your life actually turned out. Is it like that? Or is it, um, or is it just sort of, I don't know. Um, it's just so strange that they just basically took... Um, you know, artistic license on this yeah. guy's own biography, but well, also this movie the, the, just has the, the, again about its theology. This movie's theology yeah. of repentance makes no sense. Yeah, and that, that's exactly it's just what like, you see here. Okay, really, if he's really sort of repentant, he probably should go and confess his crimes to the authorities because they're serious mm. crimes. Mm. But the movie the just triumphantly portrays him in Northern as, California. And then there's the third dimension on which that's confusing is that. Okay, so he never goes to prison, so that whole monologue at the beginning of the movie set to footage of prisons and cells was just a massive red herring. And it's like, and you spend the whole time just thinking, oh, okay, he's going to go to prison, he's going to go to prison. When's the prison bit going? Okay, the movie's almost over, when's he going to prison? And it just never happens. And it's like, oh, it turns out that that prison scene at the beginning was just him writing to his friends who he had recruited to work for him to sell drugs <laughs> and they went to prison but he got off scot-free <laughs> they, yeah. and, they uh, protected him they didn't say a word about him. him they kept but the like code. so the footage at the beginning was just his friends mm. were in prison but not him and it's just like this is just such a strange yeah. way to tell a story why did you do that okay here's and oh, here's look weird. Here's the thing. If the people who wrote this script had thought about it for more than 10 minutes, then they maybe had, would have even thought up a potential complication. Like if he confesses his crimes, then he may further indict and extend the sentences of those guys who are working under yeah. him who are already in prison. Sure. You know, maybe that could have been a cool point of why, you know, he, but he also wants to clear his conscience and do the right thing by God, but he doesn't want to, you know, further implicate his, his friends and his, those who he loves. But that, that, that's not a point that's done at all. That would have been maybe a worthwhile point. There's yeah. no resolution. There's no idea. Okay. Yeah. And let's just, can I just say this? I think the guy that wrote the book that this movie is based on is just a terrible uh, terrible person. Um, <laughs> I just, I just think he is. He does not. Okay, because here's the thing. He wrote the screenplay, by the way, not not he even the book. The he, just wrote, he directly wrote the screenplay. The guy we're talking about, the guy who the cameo. He's the part. Yeah, the cameo, he plays, is the which is we he haven't talked about. When you his talk about. first appearance is in a yeah. white Lamborghini that he like yeah. drives up to the outside of the church, and like you you see that, and you're like. Oh wow, this guy is like clearly some like I don't know celebrity or something, some cool guy. 
Uh, I guess they're showing that, Christ that there were rich Christians here. Oh, wait, he's the worship pastor. Wow, yep. I wonder what this guy's salary is that he can and afford the scene, a the white scene, Lamborghini. Yeah. The scene uh, where he rocks up, he's like, it's very glamorized, right? Like, it's got your, so your hip-hop hip or whatever music playing, and it's slow motion getting out of the car. Wearing a snapback hat. It's got big rings. Yeah. He kind of gives, like, the guy, like, a dirty look as well, like, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I thought they had, like, beef like, or something. I could not tell what was going yeah. on. It's yeah. Like, it's like, okay, but this dude's the worshipper. And then, not only that, he's just not a good singer in the slightest. He's such a terrible singer. Whatever they're paying this guy is not <laughs> is too much. It's too much. I think much. I wrote this down... Man. I wrote mm. down um, somewhere... I, uh, geez, I'm glad they didn't have enough budget to make church look unrealistically good in this movie. Yeah, my, my notes are like mega church on the outside, relatively modest interior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't really have good like seat team. There was like empty seats all around the front. There's, yeah. uh, but also, there's, a, host, there's why... a host person losing their minds. <laughs> but also, why is the worship leader rocking up just when church starts? Am I right? Like, right. creative team, you hear me. Like, all you worship leaders out there, you hear me. This yeah, guy should have been here at 5 a.m., man. Should have been there all day. Another, there was absolutely no reason. Another indictment on his character mm. is um, after that service ends, the pastor, worship pastor, is, like, speaking to a bunch of women one by one, giving them really long, lingering hugs and really staring deeply into the <laughs> eyes. And my note says, Pastor Galley looks like he's about to have an affair with a bunch of women. <laughs> He hundred percent looks like this sort of predatory but so, pastor. But so let's talk um, about that scene, right? Because because basically, yeah, we've we've met him. Like, so this is this scene is where Ja Rule and Vanessa, where Vanessa first brings Ja Rule to church, right? It's his first experience of church. So they're rolling, and he sees the this just random guy in the white Lamborghini, uh, dressed in white as well. They're going to church. Oh, he turns out he's the worship pastor. Then they meet. They come out of church, and they. And they, Vanessa and Gerald, walk up to this worship pastor, say hi. Vanessa's like, worship was great, whatever. And they, and then Gerald and and the worship pastor have a conversation. Mm. And it's funny because, like, when you, I didn't realize until the end where they show like a photo of the real Miles, and it's actually the guy who played this worship pastor. Mm. So this is actually this scene. You've got uh, the real. Miles sort of playing a character who is who kind of resembles Miles as he turned out to be in the end. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got this un—you've got redeemed Miles talking to unredeemed Miles essentially, and you've got mm. and like so re the worship pastor redeemed Miles. He's playing—he's dressed all in white, and Jarul's dressed all in black. You know, visual storytelling, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. And um, but so then you've got. All this, like, Ja Rule asks, like, legitimate questions, right, about, like... Legitimate so, you questions. Know, I didn't... You don't seem like a pastor. Like, you like you know, you rocked up in this in this Lamborghini and, um, and, and the pastor's like, oh, I think I saw you uh, were in, like, a Bentley or whatever. Yeah, a Bentley um, that I haven't seen before. Yeah. And, um, and Ja Rule's like, well, yeah, but I ain't a pastor, you know? Yeah, which <laughs> is like, a very valid and, response. Which is a valid, like, and, and it's not that pastors should be held to it. Like, it's not that, oh, it's okay. Because if it's not okay for a pastor to have a Lamborghini, then why should it be okay for anyone to have a Lamborghini? So, I'm, I'm, I don't think they should be held to a different standard in that regard. But Ja Rule's character at that point isn't claiming to sort of represent 
any sort of altruistic worldview or anything, whereas the pastor is kind of claiming to be, you know, living, living a, following a religion that advocates, you know, <laughs> selflessness and, and, not being materialistic and stuff. Um, and then the, and, and I thought, oh, this is going to be an interesting conversation, but basically it just turned out to be kind of a justification for pastors <laughs> living really luxurious lifestyles. Cause he says, uh, last time I read, he just says, last time I read the Bible, it didn't say anything about style being a sin. I wouldn't want to personally get into sort of decisions about what exactly, uh, the limits are of what a, a pastor should or shouldn't own or mm. uh, or drive or whatever, because you know I I don't um you know I don't know these pastors myself and stuff and I you know I just I wouldn't I would be hesitant to to judge like what they're doing, but um the way but as this, for this movie pastor yes yeah so this person the way this movie sort of talks about it kind of just. The way it goes about it was very unsatisfying, like, because it kind of just, it glorify, it seems to glorify his money. Um, and it's, and which is largely seems to be money that is a fortune that he made off drug dealing, by the way. <laughs> and so, yeah, he, there's never uh, a, there's, a Levi situation where he yeah. gives back his money. Like, he doesn't, there's no big moment where he donates like a hundred million dollars or whatever to like, and you know, drug rehabilitation centers or community outreach yeah. programs. There's no redemption. Yeah. And like, and sort of just the whole, um, Basically, there's a lot of interesting stuff and confusing stuff going on in this movie regarding money because, like, you know, so there's a lot of cash lying around and stuff and a lot of that is just sort of showing uh, Ja Rule being, uh, living a very sort of uh, baller kind of lifestyle, which um, Mm. is not necessarily, so it's not necessarily condoning that. But then you've got things like, okay, he he buys... um, his girlfriend, like Vanessa, when it's her birthday, he buys her like a trip on a private jet, and there's and she's just like she's so into it, <laughs> like she's mm. so keen for the private jet. Um, you've got things like, um, well, so there's confusing things, right? Because early on, um, the guy who's who's Fourth of July barbecue, um, that's Jarrell the other thing I really to, wanted to mention. And, yes. Please. And he and so he's like and so so basically early on in the film the party where Jarul meets Vanessa he it's it's the party that his friend uh, Mick. is hosting and uh, yeah Nick and and so and he they're just chatting and and Nick just says to Jarul you know don't don't make your life about money you know um, it's important to not make your life about that I made my life all about money and then I didn't know I didn't know my I didn't know my wife and like uh, you know it's just it's nowhere to live and so you've got this thing where it's like oh maybe they're setting an up an arc right where he's going to come to not live for money and stuff by the end of this mm. but it really just doesn't sort of come up again uh, there's a mo- there's a moment where he's reading the Bible because he's exploring the Bible and everything mm. and he um, and it's, you see it sort of on, it's, it's sitting on this passage in Proverbs where it says, uh, basically something about don't, don't trust in riches. Mm. Um, but that never gets mentioned. I was like, oh, okay. He's reading this verse about don't trust in riches. Is that going to sort of, you know, become 
a, a thing that's happening and no it just doesn't really get mentioned and this so, is where and the dave Chappelle on, yeah. skit comes in where he's like oh don't trust in riches let me get on this private jet with my girlfriend and give her an elaborate <laughs> exactly, ring exactly basically all the things that anyone celebrates in the movie seem to be related to just wealth and okay so can um, we talk about uh ja rule's relation to this nick guy right because that is kind of the entire uh, thing of this film is that he meets vanessa at this guy's party right um yeah but just in relation to this whole drug dealer thing so this nick guy is a christian but he is actively effectively laundering the money <laughs> of a drug dealer and he has he? seemingly no moral qualms with that because that's <laughs> Nick is this guy's finance broker and he's like his oh, accountant yeah. and all of those things. But he's seemingly, and is seemingly this devoted Christian, but, and it's never addressed the fact that effectively what this guy's doing is helping him launder millions and millions of dollars that he got through destroying people's lives through dealing drugs. You know, people, there are bodies there are, are buried because yeah. of Ja Rule's actions, <laughs> both on, in this on the film flip and side, in this, real life. Um, uh, on, on the flip side, the movie never makes it clear if Ja Rule legitimately makes money through his promotion gig, and Nick mm. is doing yeah. accounting for that. But Nick also should go to prison. Nick was basically a lot of exposition. There was like a bit yeah. where he invites Ja Rule to the party over the phone. He's like, "It's the Fourth of July weekend." I'm like, "Oh." Cool. Uh, now, ja, now Jarul knows what weekend it is. Um, and then, um, and then there's uh, when he go, when Jarul arrives at the party and he's and Nick says, just says to him, "Your Miles, my youngest and coolest friend in the world." <laughs> That's the quote. That's just, I mean, okay. Th first of all, thank you for uh, clarifying your relationship to all of us viewers about how like. <laughs> What role you play in each other's lives, but also thank yeah. you for just emphasizing how young Ja Rule is. <laughs> because there's another point in the movie where um, the two, where Vanessa's parents are in bed talking about um, Vanessa and Miles, and they refer to him as a boy. And I'm like, no. I have to just go and check how like, old Ja Rule, ja Rule was, was born when in they filmed this. He was 76. 76. So he was like 37 or 39 or something when he filmed this. It's 37, unreal. I think. <laughs> I just love how they referred to him as a boy. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Also, the weird thing was it was set in 2009. I'm like, why was it set in 2009? I thought probably because, well, that's when the real stuff happened, right? But mm. I looked it up and, like, the actual sort of biographical details about the writer slash, you know, person who it's based on, it all happened in the 90s. So mm. why did they set this in a specific year? Because <laughs> I was thinking, I, I really thought it was like, oh, 2009, and then he's going to spend, like, five years in prison and it's going to be 20, you know, 14 or whatever. Or something like that. And then it just doesn't happen. The year had no relevance whatsoever. They didn't no need relevance. to tell us what year it was. They could have left that ambiguous. All right. Uh, in the interest of time, let's move on to our standard rating segments. So our first rating segment is the salvation test. Does a character realize they're a sinner in need of a savior who is Jesus? And do they find that out by the process of an evangelistic conversation? Uh, yes, yes and no. Yeah, a light pass, I'd say. 
to like pass. Yeah. He definitely there's an altar call scene like at the at the very end, uh, just before he becomes a pastor at the very very end. Um, <laughs> like uh, so yeah. For if you if you're curious and you haven't watched it and you're still listening to this, he's he's a he becomes a pastor in like the ending shot of this movie. Uh, it's like him preaching, but um. But yeah, he becomes a he he answers an altar call basically after he's been through everything, but it doesn't quite really happen as a result of an evangelistic conversation uh or not one conversation. Um this was this was something that I thought was to its credit. Like this is kind of what I was talking about at the beginning where it's like, okay, it kind of shows that he has to go through real experiences mm. that actually sh- teach him that God is real and teach him that he needs Jesus like um there isn't just some some killer yeah. monologue from a Christian that just convinces him st- straight off the bat uh I thought that was yeah just the the bit of nuance that the movie did have cool so pass uh Lachlan would you like to take us through the way of the master test the way of the master test asks Does an atheist character unwittingly talk themselves into a trap of their own logic, revealing the bankruptcy of their worldview? For bonus points, in doing so, do they also, in an impassioned outburst, accidentally betray their true underlying psychology, which is that they hate God and people? No. Yeah, Uh, no, I don't think it does. I don't think it does that. Um, Again, to its credit, like, I think think it... uh, I think the closest the, that they weren't... get to that is uh, when Vanessa is sort of asking Ja Rule to come to church and he sort of mm. has this moment where he kind of snaps and he's like, your God doesn't want someone like me in church, which is just like, he just gets really crazy. And then she just kind of smiles yeah. and just like gives him I... a hug and he's like, oh, baby, you don't know how wrong you I are. I liked that. I, I look... liked that scene. I mean. Because it was, because it. Because it was kind of like, well, that's, she was, I, th- I took it as she was smiling because she was like, that's actually kind of the exact attitude that God is looking for on a level. Because it's like, okay, he, he clearly considers himself a sinner. He clearly does not believe that he has a right to, um, yeah. to be in church. Um, and I thought that was, uh, that was nice. I liked it. Mm. All right. um, it was nice. I wouldn't call it a good scene, but it was nice. This no, is a not fail. a good scene, but a good little, good moment. Yeah. So, a way of the master test, fail. A Bechtel yeah. test, Tristan? Uh, so, the Bechtel test, as the uh, token woke guy on this mm. podcast. As a token uh, broke asks, guy on this podcast. As a token broke leg <laughs> guy. Uh, asks whether, as the token bespoke guy on this podcast. Okay, this joke's getting old. Asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. The requirement that the two women must be named is sometimes added. This movie gets a hard fail. Oh, yeah. This movie, I don't think, has a single... I don't think this movie even has two female characters talking to each other. No. The, uh, yeah, the only time that I can recollect where two female characters talk to each other is literally Vanessa's friends oh, talking yeah. about how yeah. hot Ja Rule is. That's the yep. only and his, thing. And his uh, sexual prowess. And his sexual alleged. prowess. Yes, that's right. Between, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, one, yeah. oh my gosh. It's awful. So it just goes to show even more so, considering that this guy wrote the screenplay about himself, <laughs> included <true>. these <laughs> lines. think about it that way. <laughs> just true. goes to yeah. show even further, <laughs> the man behind this is the worst person. I hate him so much. 
Um, I'm going to have to apologize and pray for that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, okay, next, next thing. Excess, so join the movement test. Does the film have a call to action in the end credits? Got a blooper nope. reel in the end credits, which I really appreciate. It's got a really, I appreciate it. Really, it's not a place, funny blooper reel. Not funny at all. Not funny, but I not funny. It had heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie was just unintentionally funnier than its entire blooper reel combined. I feel like, like the, I feel like they they generated the blooper reel. They're like, let's pretend we had a blooper. So it's just not. Yeah, nothing. there's one scene where like. Um, where, yeah. not, I want to say Martin but, Sheen, but it's not. It's Stephen Baldwin. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Baldwin, like, literally is like, oh, oh I'm yeah. sensing a blooper. This feels like a blooper. It's like, it wasn't funny. You just forgot your line. <laughs> what? That's not what a blooper is, you idiot. I think Rush Hour has, the, like, the gold standard for yeah. bloopers. <sighs> yep. Best blooper. Rush Hour and Toy Story. Oh, yep. Toy Story bloopers, that's god tier. Man, I need to rewatch Rush Hour now. Now that you talked about that, okay. Worth um, a rewatch. Next one: resource placement test. Uh, is the plot of the film centered around a book or product of some kind that exists in the real world? In particular, does the release of the product coincide with the release of the film? Nothing was pushed on us, I think, except I, for hmm. uh, Sandal Spas. Maybe uh, San- Sandal Resort. Sandal Resort. Sandal <laughs> yeah. Resort. Maybe. The only other thing may have been. Uh, because Vanessa's, uh, Vanessa, the character, her her job is that she works in a faith-based resource store, faith-based <laughs> whatever product store. Um, but so, like, there was a bit where she pulls out an album from a rapper called T-Bone. Um, and is that I a real think album? T-Bone... I've been I think affectionately T-Bone, referred to as T-Bone more times than I care to admit. <laughs> okay um i think t-bone is also i think the the rapper t-bone also acts in this movie maybe i don't know i think yeah i think he's one but, of the uh, one of the gangsters the gangsters so. um but it's possible that um may I'm, I'm not maybe that album got released at the same time as the movie who knows we could find out if we could be bothered to but we <laughs> hard fail hard fail just go listen to go listen to a Ja Rule album instead. It's much better. <laughs> like much unironically, unironically, Ja Rule is a brilliant musician. Um, and... Speaking of music, mm. God's not listening. How how was the soundtrack, gentlemen? Would have been better if it was all Ja Rule joints. I'll say it right now. Would have been so much better if you just make every single scene have mesmerized in the background. <laughs> Oh wait no, I'm thinking of a difference. Wait no, yeah. And I'm hanging with my boo. Wait no, that's a complete. That's Nelly. No, that's, I'm an idiot. That's that's Nelly. And Kelly Rowland. Playing Kelly Rowland. Um, there was one Ja Rule song at the end called like "Pray" or something at the end credits, which actually seemed like a good song. Ja Rule Man, makes the, good music for all of the memes. Yeah, he made and some all good of the music. Fire Festival. He made some good music. Yeah. Like, uh, but the, the the soundtrack in this movie, I have mixed feelings about. Some of it was so bad. Um, mm. Every time Israel Houghton, who is ridiculously talented, but in this movie, every time, like, one of his songs came in, it was just really jarring. I think it was largely the, the yep. editing, like, the, the music editing, the way it was pieced together into the movie just did not work at all. It was so weird. Um, I there hate was, these movies. I, 
Like just the way they use music is so on the nose and obnoxious. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yes. Yeah, every single um, scene had like its own like orchestral score behind it. Yeah. Like this movie is and like the bad be... pastor of movies. Like the youth pastor <laughs> who would has to just have up. a piano behind him. <laughs> that was this the movie. And then it would often be followed up by like another scene with completely different music and like there would be a short scene with very intense sort of orchestral music followed by immediately by a change in music and a cha- change in tone. The tone was just all over the place and it was a roller coaster of emotions in a bad way. Um but there was a couple of I think I think there was a scene where they're in the club um where Ja Rule is sort of considering going down a bad path and getting drunk and cheating on Vanessa, mm. I think. And there was one, there was a good song playing here. I was like, huh, this is, I wonder what this music is. I bet it's Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and it was. I can was, tell you it, it absolutely was because I had the, I had the subtitles on when it was playing. And oh, one of the yeah, lyrics yeah. was, don't need to swear in my thing because my verse is bad. <laughs> yeah. it, like, just making, well, like, it's, oh. I shazammed it. I shazammed it oh, and nice. it was by T-Bone. It was by oh. T-Bone who, from the, the Christian, yeah. Bonafide. Um, but, uh, but it was good. I, I liked it um, for the bit that I heard of it. It's Jay, great. what did you think of the music? I, I would say, uh, man, it's like 20 Israel Hawklands over a thousand. Whoa. <laughs> That's one tour and well. Uh, did anyone have any favorite quotes from this movie? Uh, I do not. Oh man! Other than you can't put a price on justice, which is just so brilliant. <laughs> it's good. It's and good. then why did you ask? Oh, women. <laughs> that was also pretty. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, that yeah. was brilliant. Okay. Uh, I think I think the best quotes go to Stephen Baldwin's character. So, absolutely. Uh, absolute classic is a <gasps> scene where uh, just after he has. Um, you probably know where I'm going with this. Just after Jarul has given has taken Vanessa on a private jet flight, uh, Stephen Baldwin and his partner they come to the airport and they say, "I'd like to see the flight plan of that last. <laughs> I'd like to see the flight plan of that last private, private jet, jet that went out, please." And then the receptionist says, "I'm sorry, sir, that information is confidential." <laughs> and then Stephen Baldwin pulls out his DEA badge and he says, "It's okay. I'm Mr. Confidential." confidential. <laughs> So funny. Uh, okay, one of my other favorite quotes in this movie was uh, when Pussy Bop and Sarah's character Nick uh, is he's, he's speaking with uh, old mate uh, Ja Rule and he's like, and Ja Rule's like, oh, so you're like religious. And then he's like, hey, hey, we don't really like that word, buddy. And I was just like, uh, we prefer the term man of faith. <laughs> And I was just like, <laughs> look, all of the potential, like, implications and various ways that you can flip that, I'll leave that to you to decide. But, oh, my goodness gracious, seeing, like, an Italian-American old, like, boomer guy be like, hey, hey, we don't like that word, okay? This is, that's, that's our word. You don't get to use it. Like, that was just, that was comedy gold. Um, okay, another quote. Um, mm. from agent special agent Baldwin. Um, so when he's having the the conference where he's sort of uh, the briefing where he's sort of explaining to all the agents like about this uh, Miles guy and uh, how bad of a drug dealer he is, um, and he's going through his crew, um, mm. and he just and he just says uh, and he comes to one of the guys um, and uh, and this guy's name is like 
wiki or whippy or something. The wiki. And yeah, everyone wiki, just yeah. yeah, and and everyone just kind of laughs and he and he just uh, he yeah. just says I just so he goes uh I know, I know. I agree with you. And then there's a pause and you think that's the end of the line and he just but he keeps going he's like he's got a stupid <laughs> he's got a stupid name. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just as dangerous as anyone in this crew. <laughs> that was just, so fitting of a damn I lost it. Oh, like a that whole I just lost it in this. So funny. <laughs> he's, he's got a stupid name. It's just. My favorite thing about that, though. Oh, no. And then he immediately proceeds to say it when he's talking about. Um, when he's talking about mm. Ja Rule, he says he's smart. He's rich and he's good looking, but I'm not sure I'd want to marry him off to my daughter. And then I just wrote collegial laughter um, in the, <laughs> like, I just, it's kind of one, it was very, the laughter was really fake and forced. Which again, I but it was also, also another one that of those line things. as being like, ah, oh, this is just, this is like, could be seen as totally racist as well but that's just my <laughs> oh, ACAB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my ACAB 2020 mentality as well that was the thing is like yeah the collegial laughter that was the most like unintentionally realistic part of this was the fact that these were like the like they were clearly meant to like they were directed to be actually laughing but their acting was so bad that it sounded like fake laughing which is just as accurate as if they were their bad boss was telling actually bad jokes then they would have to actually fake laugh because he's their boss. <laughs> I just thought that, that was yeah. like a moment of unintentional accuracy. Like, oh, yeah, this movie is also, a gold mine. It was also a moment where, because he's basically saying, okay, Ja Rule's character, he's smart, he's rich, and he's good looking. And it's again one of the like, okay, so this line would have been written by, by the, <laughs> the guy. guy about oh. whom this movie is. All right, let's so keep this good. brief. Uh, drinking game. If you had to play a drinking game to this movie, what would the rules be? I'd say take a sip anytime anyone affectionately says the word baby. Mm. I mm. would say... Um, oh, I would say take a drink anytime there's a sweeping camera angle. Like the camera just like is panning around mm. someone. Oh, like oh, there's lots of like really lecherous shots of Vanessa just like from like ankles up. Just a, just like, ooh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so uh, finish your drink every time uh, that happens. Finish your drink every time uh, Vanessa's mother is a dick, like just really rude to <laughs> Ja Rule. Yeah. Yep. Um, take a drink. Take a drink every time Ja Rule has it all. <laughs> take a drink. Yeah. Take a drink every time someone references how attractive or smart or funny or successful <laughs> yes, Ja Rule yes. is. Yes. Uh, um, take, a, take a drink. Take a drink every time you see a roll or case of cash. Yep. Uh, finish your drink. Sorry, waterfall throughout the entire uh, DEA briefing scene. <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. All right. Next segment. Would God watch this movie? Well, the executive uh, produced it, so. The executive produced yeah, it. He has to. Clearly he's obli he he's didn't, legally obligated. He didn't proofread it, that's for sure. Gosh, I would, uh -huh. no, I'd say God God funded the movie, but he kind of didn't want any part in it, and he'd never watched it. He didn't go to the screening. He didn't go to any of the shoots. He just, he did a favor to Ja Rule. I was like, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll throw some cash your way, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not watching this thing. I don't think he watched it at all. 
It's awful. I'd say God has hilarious. Netflix, but he still pirated this movie. Just, like, <laughs> just to just to Didn't make want sure to give it the stream count. all got no royalties from the stream. Brilliant. I'd uh, say I think I I think I would say God would okay. I'd say God is more likely to watch this movie than any other um than any other Christian movie that we've watched. I'm I I think uh, what this movie is what it lacks in sort of <laughs> I'm yeah, go on. Um, yeah. <laughs> um well this movie lacks in finished sentences it makes up so, for an awkward okay. silences uh, that's a good plot synopsis that <laughs> point. Actually, yeah it's, it's exactly what this movie is it does not finish what it's still punchline no that is so true it does not like there's so many things i'm like man why do things so it does not finish it is not like the work christ has begun in us it uh, it does not <laughs> it does come not to completion. Bring anything to completion. <laughs> um, Shut up. <laughs> this this whole this whole episode has been a rollercoaster. We talk we talk uh, trash about it. Everyone is still listening to this garbage episode of this garbage podcast. <laughs> I commend you. I I just okay. want to thank you so much. I'm so glad that this is like the sixth episode and not the like the third because no one is ever. Please continue to listen to our <laughs> continuous work. I'm so tired. This this we are um, so tired. We've had so many technical issues. Oh man. Uh, let's. No, okay. Can we okay. please conclude? I'm gonna put on. I'm gonna put on my my um my charitable hat here. So how I was viewing this movie for a lot of it was a lot like when you sort of hear the the testimony at church from the guy who was a drug dealer or was a um a drug addict or whatever and had his life turned around became a christian right um this this guy is not the most theologically educated not the most articulate not the most well thought out guy right um he's not he's um, really not i have a degree of grace for this guy because he's telling his story, uh, what I can only charitably assume is a true story for the most part, apart from the fact that he didn't, doesn't wind up going to prison when he did go to prison in real life. So I don't know what that's about, but, um, but like a story of a, of a guy who is, you know, uh, not from the upper echelons of society, not from an ivory tower. He's like sort of a street level kind of Christian, um, who, um, and so, He's just telling his story as he sees it. Um, and yeah, so I kind of think, oh, you know, I've got a bit of sympathy for this story. And I think um, I think I appreciate how it doesn't just make, make things look simple and make things look easy. Um, and yeah, it's sort of to some degree, it at least tries to, to deal with reality as it is. I want to say that was a brilliant point, and I agree thoroughly, and I think that that's a very charitable and thoughtful analysis. Yeah. Is God dead? I would say... God is, al- God is alive, and he provides private jets to those who love him. <laughs> Man, this is Kenneth Copeland's favorite movie. This is Kenneth Copeland's favorite <laughs> Christian movie. And I do not care. I do not want us to bleep that out. I don't care if Kenneth Copeland comes for us. He is a garbage <laughs> pastor. 
Um, <laughs> he can he get is, in his private jet is, and come he, at us. He can come in his private jet. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, God's God is God is alive, but he has a sense of humor, uh, and he's just. This movie sucks, but it's really funny. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> this movie, get, I give this movie uh, twenty million dollars out of fifty million dollars. <laughs> I give this movie. <laughs> I give this movie uh, four stories out of a seven-story house. <laughs> I give this movie um, one DEA pair of shoes to all of Ja Rule's shoes. I give this movie earth, wind, water, and heart, but not fire. <laughs> what does that even mean? I give this movie uh, four words out of a possible length of Lachlan's points. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So we've we've come to the end of this strange and wonderful podcast. Thank you for listening. Oh, yeah. We hope that you too will be able to watch this film and enjoy it as much as mm -hmm. we have. Uh, come in with a critical, hypercritical eye, and you'll have a great time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had a. If you wish to reach us, all our. Socials are in the description. Does anyone here want to plug anything? Yeah, I would just like to plug. I would just like to plug the flirt, the entire flirt to convert cinematic universe. Uh, yeah, do which it. We've we've reviewed two movies now, and we're keen to uh, get to mm. the next one. Uh, yep. If you have any movie recommendations, especially if they deal with flirt to convert as a concept, I would like to plug uh, all of my single Christian guy friends. Uh, who are currently not in a relationship because Christian girls are out there dating uh, ex-drug dealers. Um, <laughs> women out there, stop dating ex-drug dealers. Date all of my single Christian guy friends. Except for, like, most of them because they're kind of garbage. But, like, you know, this may or may not surprise you. All the guys on this podcast are single. Um, so you can date any one of this. But just be warned, we have remarkably high standards and probably won't accept you. That's all. <laughs> all right, everyone. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, mm. Our socials are in the description. Please send us emails. If you've watched these movies, please reach out mm. to us on Instagram. Maybe don't reach out to us on Twitter. We don't know what Twitter is. We have an account, <laughs> though. And with that, we will bid you adieu. Mm. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Love you. Love you. But not your sin. <laughs> 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 <laughs>